0: Right as I was we were saying that last verse, I realized this is my tenth Christmas Eve service that I've had the pleasure to lead and so that's that's exciting. As I mentioned earlier, it's my favorite service of the year, really. and uh, of course, the challenge for every preacher, every Christmas is, you know what what are you gonna talk about? Sometimes when you talk about the same things, it feels like it's you know maybe getting old or something, but actually, the main things need to remain the main things. So, um, but I decided this, this evening we're going to focus a little bit more on Joseph uh, than the other participants in the Christmas story. Joseph was given a call to protect and a call of prompt obedience. As every husband is charged to protect his family, Joseph already made a commitment to protect Mary. And for Mary and Joseph, their betrothal was a commitment that was just as binding as marriage itself would be for us today. Today, engagements can be called off before the marriage uh, without any legal implications, at least in most cases. But in those days, what they called betrothal was a covenant. It was a serious commitment The couple betrothed was legally bound to each other and expected to be true to one another and to prepare themselves for the eventual consummation of their marriage at such a time when the groom would take his bride to his own home and they would live together. But until this happened, they were to be celibate. There was to be no hanky-panky. The man was expecting his wife to remain a virgin and she also expected him to remain a virgin until they came together. Anything else would have been shameful. And as it happens, when couples are not chased before their marriage, there is not evidence found in the man's case, but if a pregnancy results, the woman can find herself in a difficult, in those days, possibly life-threatening situation. If she is betrothed and it's her own husband that she's been with and he does the right thing, well, then he can immediately take her as his wife and there might still be some shame, but life can go on. But if she's found pregnant with a man that's not her husband, then she's in big trouble. Because she's legally bound to her betrothed, she would now be an adulteress. The penalty was death. That's how seriously God took sex and marriage. His demand was for purity, and the stiff punishment was to be an example and a warning to everyone that God expects the marriage bed to be undefiled. And we're reminded that in the same way, God expects his church to be his bride in a betrothal period. And as we prepare for a wedding, we are to keep ourselves pure as well, as individuals and also as a church body as the whole. We cannot have impurities such as gossip and grumbling, sexual immorality, or division in the church because he's looking for a bride who will prepare herself for the wedding, and so it was for Israel, God's chosen people. Throughout the history of Israel, when God commanded allegiance and loyalty, he again and again used the terms of marriage and adultery When he spoke through the prophets about his relationship to Israel. He even used words in Scripture like whoring for those who allowed impurity into their lives that stained the relationship between God and man. And when idols were worshipped, he called himself a jealous God. He took the position of a husband who has a healthy and loving desire for his wife to be his alone. He demonstrated this through the prophet Hosea and his wife, Gomer. Nobody names their girls Gomer, I've noticed. But Hosea had a wife who was disloyal, who kept leaving him to be with other men, and Hosea would keep bringing her back home. And this illustrated to the people how God feels when his people leave him and seek after other gods, and yet he lovingly seeks out to bring back the wandering ones that are his. Yes, God had made a big deal about marriage and purity, and that was built into the culture that Joseph and Mary found themselves in, a culture that demanded that husband and wife come together in purity and at the right time, not earlier. But when the time of preparation was complete and that once they were together, they were united together then until death. And this was what God intended for marriage then, and it is still the case today that marriage is to be taken very seriously, not casually. And rather than seeing marriage as something people just do and can be undone, God wants us to see it just as Joseph did, as a -a once-in-a-lifetime event that ideally people would do one time, and that time would be for life. And the only exception that was given at the time was that if a spouse died, and only then was someone supposed to consider remarrying. So in this context, in a society that took marital purity much more seriously than our culture does today, let's watch how this might have played out for Joseph and how it did. In Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. initial impulse was to protect his wife even when he felt betrayed times were a little different then as i mentioned in the prelude the a man was to protect his family physically emotionally and spiritually he was the provider of the shelter and the food he was the one that protected the family from weather and from hunger he was an emotional protector as well who was to model god's love to his wife and family And he was the priest of the household, a spiritual protector. Joseph had chosen to be all of these things for Mary. He loved her, and he had committed his life to her. Of course he wanted to do these things, but men don't only want to marry to be protectors, they also marry to enjoy their wife. And Joseph, like any man, surely looked forward to the time when he would come together with his wife. And we don't know how close it was to the time they were supposed to come together, whether it was days or weeks or months. A betrothal would typically be a year or so. But we are not told in Scripture how long they were betrothed when all of this happened. But regardless of how long it was before they would consummate their marriage, we can certainly imagine the feelings that Joseph must have had when Moses told him about the situation she found herself in. While Joseph was part of a culture that believed in the supernatural intervention of God in human affairs and had heard of the great miracles of the Old Testament time and again, when faced with the situation himself, he just found it hard to believe. He loved Mary, but he couldn't imagine that this had happened the way she said Perhaps he thought she was covering up for an abusive person who took advantage of her by making up a story. Or perhaps he thought she was too ashamed to admit that she had been unfaithful. Joseph probably considered many far-fetched scenarios that led to Mary's pregnancy, but he was having trouble believing the truth. He was a just man. He didn't want her to have the shame of this. And so he thought he would quietly divorce her Yes, Joseph, even faced with what were um, unbelievable circumstances to him, he still felt that need to protect. And even as hurt as he must have been, he was still considering a solution to protect Mary. However, Joseph's call to protect wasn't just from within himself. It wasn't just because his society said, well, this is what men do. His call to protect was a holy calling, just as it is for men today. So God sent a special message to Joseph. While Zechariah and Mary had direct encounters with an angel, Joseph had a dream. God doesn't do everything in the same way all the time. He'll choose the method which he will use to meet us where we are, and despite our best efforts to box him into particular methods, we continue to find that God will surprise us. When God calls us to something, he gives us what we need to complete the call. Second Peter chapter 1 and verses 3 and 4 says this, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us into his own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Philippians one six says I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And first Thessalonians five twenty four says He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. He will surely do it. I missed a word there. It's important. God is the one who calls, and God is the one who sees to it that his call is not unheeded. He is the one who draws us to himself. We can't do much without his call. So Joseph had a call to be Mary's protector and a call to prompt obedience. And now his call is expanded to become the protector of Jesus until he becomes a man. And you can read more about that. That's not going to be covered this evening. But he had to do a lot of things to protect Jesus. And though God has called him, Joseph is unable to do this on his own. So God sends him help in form of a dream. And he would again give Joseph help through dreams later on. And if you read on in chapter 2, you'll see God warned Joseph in a dream to flee to Egypt and then gave him a dream to return to Nazareth. Interesting to me that the two main characters in the Bible that carry the name Joseph were known for having pretty important dreams. And imagine the life that Joseph had. On the run, called to protect a wife and baby, going on long journeys, Today, we might look at the map and think, well, that wasn't that far when he took her. Uh, it was about the distance from here to Miami. But there was this great difficulty in traveling in Joseph's day, and particularly with a wife and a young child. So God gives Joseph just what he needs for encouragement and direction. He isn't the first, Joseph in Scripture, to have his life largely influenced by dreams. We have now looked at Joseph's call to protect. He was to be the protector of his family, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, as all husbands and fathers are. But what if you are not a father? How can this call to protect apply to you? Well, we are all called to protect. A husband and father may have a specific calling to protect wife and children, but in the same way, every person has a call to protect others. But Joseph had also a call to prompt obedience. He couldn't sit around for months and make a decision or think about it. There wasn't a lot of time for him to sit and contemplate and look at his belly button and wonder about it. He, he had to draw a conclusion quickly. He didn't have a, a whole bunch of counselors to go to and say, what should I do, or survey the community, or take a poll, or anything of the sort. Mary was already pregnant. And before long, it would be obvious to everyone. And not only that, Joseph had in mind protecting Mary, but also, to some extent, protecting himself. Ultimately, he chose protecting Mary and trust in God over his own objections. Joseph's call to protect and his call to prompt obedience was a call he heeded. And he's an example for all of us, men and women, boys and girls alike, And that example is evident. God calls us each to do something. He has good works for us to do, works that he has prepared for us. So what is he calling you to that requires prompt obedience? What I want you to observe in the story of Joseph is that his prompt obedience to God, his submission to God's plan, was part of God's one big master plan to bring salvation to the world. Joseph's part in the story is not insignificant. God continues to use those who are called to prompt obedience, and he continues to use them all over the world in his master plan to bring salvation to the lost people that he is deciding to save. Perhaps we think of ourselves much less than Joseph. Perhaps we think, well, our part is much smaller in the grand scheme of things. We might think that even our obedience cannot have nearly the impact of Joseph's because Joseph had a part. But the thing about it that we need to remember is Joseph had a part, but he wasn't the Savior. Mary had a part, but she wasn't the Savior. Zechariah and Elizabeth and John the Baptist had a part, but they aren't the Savior. They all followed God's commands in prompt obedience, but none of them are the Savior. Jesus is the one who saves. No church, no pastor, no organization can save anyone. But Jesus can. We may all have favorite preachers and teachers. We may even tell everyone, uh, you have to read this book or you have to listen to this book. And yet, none of those people are the Savior either. There's one Savior. That Savior, Jesus, has chosen to use people who will listen to him and listen to his call with prompt obedience if anything has great has happened through a man or woman in church history it's the work of the savior but if anything great has happened in church history it will also be linked back to someone saying yes and promptly obeying the call of god so we see in the gospel of matthew some bookends in chapter one we see the birth of jesus emmanuel god with us and the very last sentence. The words of that same Christ, now grown to be a man, having died on the cross and been raised again and ready to ascend into heaven, again we see he is indeed Emmanuel, God with us, because he says, Behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. That same Emmanuel, who suddenly entered the world and changed everything, still enters in and changes everything. He always does this around the world, and right here. Emmanuel comes. He is here. He is with us always. And the eternal plan of salvation continues to unfold. And his method of bringing his, world, uh, his word into the world is really the same as when Joseph had his dream. For God is calling today, as he has been calling for generations. And his call is to find another one who will respond to his call in prompt obedience. Men and women who've, who have received the salvation of God sometimes had heard the message many times and responded eventually. But what of those who respond immediately and promptly in obedience? Cornelius' entire house was saved and filled with the Holy Spirit due to the prompt obedience to the word of truth that Peter brought. Remember those disciples who became apostles who walked immediately away from their nets in prompt obedience to the call of Christ who they knew not but were compelled to obey when he said, follow me. Many more stories from scripture itself and from church history. Many more stories exist of one who God did great things through, who simply resigned to the call of God in prompt obedience. Abraham, who promptly left his home to go to a strange land. Jacob, who promptly went to Egypt when Joseph was revealed and the people were saved. Gideon, Samuel, David, how many more responded with prompt obedience to God's call? And how many more since the canon of Scripture has closed have responded to God? Great preachers, missionaries, and many men and women who are called out of their various lives into prompt obedience. Obedience. Here is the point. Prompt obedience to God is very often the first step in the life of one who God will use for his glory. No, you do not become the Savior if you respond to his call in prompt obedience. You become a servant of the Savior, one who participates in his great plan of salvation that he continues to unfold right here in our time. He is looking for those who would trust enough to offer his, their prompt obedience to him. The one who will do so is humble enough to admit that they are nothing without God and would like to be something with him. The one who does this is willing to stop seeking after worldly desires and seek first the kingdom of God. The one who does this is willing to suffer for the name of Christ in order to be glorified with him in the end. The one who does this becomes part of God's plan, part of the church. Yet this prompt obedience, which when it is true obedience to God, can bring about great things, can be confused with obedience to other people, though. It can be confused with obedience to our own desires. We have a tendency to spiritualize our own wants and desires. Oh, did I say that out loud? (laughs) I really want that, so I think God's telling me that. Right, And then we search out passages to affirm that's what we really want to do, and here's how the Bible tells us that's what we are supposed to do. Maybe I'm the only one. So it is necessary for us to learn discernment, which comes from studying God's Word and prayer and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak and empower us. How could Joseph have known the difference? Well, for one thing, he was just a man. That's a good start. He seems to be struggling with belief. You see, Mary had her encounter with Gabriel, who gave her God's message, but for Joseph, it was coming secondhand at first. He was not prepared to believe such a supernatural thing had happened based on someone's word for it, even Mary's. He needed to have firsthand experience. Today, you may sit here and think that all this about Jesus sounds good, but it's just what some people are saying. But God invites you to take a step of prompt obedience and allow him to reveal himself to you. He may not come to you in a dream. Sometimes he just confirms his truth in your heart. Sometimes he helps you overcome some logical objection you might have to his truth. Sometimes he demonstrates his power to us through healing or other things. Regardless of what we may demand, though, we still must trust and obey the word of truth. God only saves through faith. That means we don't come to him having everything figured out. We don't come to him once we've seen the spreadsheet. We come in faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And yet God even gives us faith. Faith comes from hearing and hearing of the word of God. The Gospel of Matthew begins and ends with the concept of Emmanuel, God with us. Joseph was given a part in this story. His call to protect and his call to prompt obedience was part of God's plan for him. And God has a plan for each of us as well. And he is calling us each to something. Today, the story of Emmanuel continues in the lives of believers and to those who respond to this call. If you want to experience Emmanuel, God with us, obey his call. If you want to see others experience him, obey his call. Joseph wasn't great on his own. He was simply a man who responded to God's call. Mary was no one special until God called her. Their obedience to the call gave them the opportunity to be part of the great plan of God, and you have the same opportunity you can respond to the call of God and be part of his great plan. And I can't think of any better time to do it than on the day we celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. So I urge each of you, if you're a believer and God's calling you to something, obey his call promptly. If you are not a believer, you don't even know what that means. God's calling you to put faith in Jesus. In fact, the scripture commands it. Jesus said, believe in God, believe also in me. He's calling you to faith in him. And if you do that and promptly obey to put the faith in him, you'll be amazed to see how he'll make your life unfold in a different way than you ever expected. And many of us here can testify to that. So that's the end of the message this morning. I'm going to say this morning... (laughs) So natural to say this morning from up here. But uh, I'm going to say a prayer, and then Brandon's going to come up. Do we have two more songs? One more song? One more song. And we're going to light candles. This is a fun part to close off our evening service. And it's a reminder as well. You can come up, Brandon, and I'll keep talking. Um, and it's a reminder of how Christ's light comes into the lives of others. So I'm going to light my candle from the Christ candle, the white candle that was lit earlier this evening and then I'm going to pass it to the rest of you and you'll pass it down your aisle and this is an illustration of how the light of Christ is shared through people God gives us the privilege to share his light and so we're going to do that let's pray and then as I light the candles we're going to sing our last song together Lord thank you for this message from scripture we pray Lord that as we celebrate another Christmas together that we wouldn't just go into routines and the normal